Uh, let me pray for us before we dig into that. Father, we uh, praise you for what we've just sung, that Jesus Christ is King and Lord of all. Uh, Father, he is worthy to be crowned with many crowns. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you'd help us to listen to him this morning as he speaks through his word. And uh, Father, pray that we would exalt him in our hearts. Uh, Father, give us that desire to live for him wholeheartedly um, and help us as we think through uh, how we might do that in the workplace this morning. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Um, it's good to be with you. Uh, we're going to be thinking very practically this morning uh, in this first session. But um, before we dig into, into it, I, I just want to remind us of something that I, I hope Phil, I trust Phil said uh, yesterday, unless he's radically changed his talks from last weekend, um, which is that Jesus uh, told us that our, our first and foremost task um, every single day, um, whatever we're doing, whether we're at home um, or whether we're at work, um, is one thing, to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, all our soul, all our minds, and all our strength. Um, and so we're going to be thinking this morning about what it looks like to, to honour God uh, at work in, in particular, and two particular areas in, in our lifestyle uh, and our evangelism. And particularly in this, this first session, uh, the idea is uh, I'm going to throw out quite a, a kind of smorgasbord of, of different practical thoughts, and uh, hopefully one or two of them might stick and might strike you. Uh, in particular. Um, but I want to say right at the start, before we dig into that, that um, although identifying different areas of godliness uh, is useful, it has its, its value, um, that is not fundamentally what's going to change our hearts. Um, and so actually far more important than uh, thinking through some of the specific applications we'll think about um, over the next half hour or so, um, as valuable as, as that is, and far more important than that, is that uh, thinking through the mindset that we walk into work with, uh, what we think we're doing when we're there, um, who we are there to serve. Which means, in, in other words, if we get up in the morning, uh, on Monday morning, and say our prayers, and maybe read a bit of God's words, and uh, we start the day with the mindset, um, I have a wonderful God, and today my life is to be lived for his glory. Um, actually, that is going to make us far more effective at honouring God in the workplace uh, than paying attention to anything else I've got to say uh, for the rest of this session. Um, so now that I've given you an excuse to tune out for the next 30 minutes, um, I haven't, please don't do that. Um, please do um, turn back with me to uh, Daniel chapter 1 in your Bibles if you've closed them. Daniel chapter 1, I imagine it's a story that's quite familiar to a lot of us. Uh, so the people of Israel have just been taken off into exile in Babylon, and uh, Daniel is one of their best and brightest young scholars. Um, he got a first from Jerusalem's equivalent of Oxbridge, and uh, so along uh, with others like him, when he arrives in the big city, uh, the Babylonians immediately put him straight into their civil service fast-track scheme. Um, and you've got to say, it is a brilliant strategy for the Babylonians. Uh, you take the best of the kind of future thinkers and potential future leaders of the people that you've just conquered, and you place them in good jobs with status and comfort. Um, and that is going to make them far less likely to stir up rebellion in the future. Um, you assimilate them so that they essentially become Babylonians. And uh, that is pretty much the Christian working in London, isn't it? Um, constantly under pressure 
to be assimilated into the world's way of thinking. Uh, to take on board the world's values about work, uh, to take on board the world's lifestyle, uh, and to give it our allegiance. With, of course, the promise of security and comfort if we do that. And um, that's the big city, isn't it? Uh, the New Testament tells us that as Christians, we're to, to think of ourselves as exiles in this world. The, the world is like Babylon for us. Uh, it pushes us and pulls us to conform to it. And sometimes it does that in various uh, obvious ways. Uh, we see an example of that a few chapters later in, in Daniel. Um, King Nebuchadnezzar calls all of his officials uh, to bow down to a golden image. Um, it's a very, very obvious call to idolatry. Um, but often it's far more subtle than that, uh, like it is here in chapter 1. Uh, I wonder if, uh, if you were writing the book of Daniel, whether y- you would think, um, I know, a, a story about someone asking for vegetables, that's going to make for a really gripping introduction to, to my book. Um, I, I don't know if you thought about this before, but um, when you think about some of the really dramatic stories that are going to happen in Daniel, you know, the fiery furnace, uh, the lion's den... Uh, the writing on the wall. Um, chapter one seems like a pretty mundane way to start a book. Um, but I think that is the whole point. Uh, it starts with a story about very subtle assimilation. So it's going to be helpful for us to remember how Daniel responded to that. Um, have a look down at verse seven. Uh, notice how they're given new Babylonian names. The chief official gave to them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah Shadrach, to Mishael Meshach, and to Azariah Abednego. In other words, they're saying, you're one of us now. Think of yourselves as one of us. Um, But, verse 8, but Daniel resolves not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, Now, why does he do that? Uh, some people will suggest that he didn't want to break Jewish food laws by, by eating things that might have been forbidden. Um, I'm not persuaded by that. Um, notice verse 8. Um, he's objecting not just to food, but to drinking wine. Uh, there are no, uh, uh, no Old Testament laws to do with drink. I think what is going on is um, Daniel is just being determined here not to be assimilated. Um, he's determined he won't just get sucked into this new lifestyle that the Babylonians are offering. And so he decides very early on that he needs to draw a line in the sand somewhere. He needs to mark himself out as different. And notice he does do that very early on in his time in the city. Um, He resolved, verse 8, he thought about it. Um, He decided from the beginning how far he was going to go and how he was going to be distinctive. I think that is a a pretty good lesson for us in 21st century London, isn't it? Um, We need to be wise to what's really going on around us. Uh, We need to be proactive and think about how we're going to be different. Uh, So we're going to begin to do that this morning as we explore three areas where living distinctively as a Christian at work is going to be a battle for us. Um, Firstly, it'll be a battle in what we do. 
Um, again, I, I trust Phil would have spoken a little bit yesterday about how to choose a, a job. So I'm not going to say loads more about that now. But um, I, I want to talk very briefly about when it might be right not to do a job um, or when it might be right to leave a job. And so before we go into a, a job, um, we're going to want to ask the question, aren't we, um, whether it is a, a job that glorifies God's. Um, obviously, if it is something uh, illegal, um, being a drug dealer, that is not going to be something that glorifies God. Um, but of course, as Christians, actually, our, our options should be limited further than merely what is legal. Um, so more than just what is legal in the eyes of the state, um, we need to think about what is moral in the eyes of God. As for example, I, I don't see how a, a Christian could, in conscience, work in an abortion clinic. Um, neither do I think I could take a job in a, a betting shop, um, knowing the profound harm that those places cause to people. Of course, it might be the case that uh, it's our current job that becomes one that we can no longer, uh, in conscience, do as a Christian anymore. And um, a couple of possible reasons for that on your, your outline. Um, one, it, it could be that we're suddenly being asked to be involved in something that is illegal or immoral, uh, things that are dishonest or that hurt people in some way. Um, or secondly, it could be that work just gets to the point where it is taking us away from other important responsibilities in our life, uh, our family or our church family. Um, all this is just causing us so much stress uh, that it's impacting our godliness. Now, in both of those cases, I think where you decide to draw the line, it is not always going to be easy. Um, even in the first case, a number of things to consider. Um, how serious it is, uh, how regular it is, um, how directly you're involved in it. Um, all things are going to need to take into account. Uh, and I'm well aware that in a talk like this one, um, what you really want me to do is just say, here are some really clear black and white, hard and fast boundaries um, on uh, where you need to, to stop. Um, I, I'm afraid I, I just don't think I can do that. Um, there are, there are, the reality is there are just so many situations. Um, uh, very often they are not going to be black and white. Um, there's a real need for wisdom here um, rather than hard and fast rules. And so if you are facing that kind of situation now or in the future where you're just not sure whether it's right to, to stay or go, um, here are four kind of general bits of advice. Um, one, I think, probably quite obvious, um, seek help from others. Um, ask your DG group. Um, pray about it. Um, chat to other people at church. Um, see what other people think. Uh, and then secondly, whatever other people think, um, don't go against your conscience. Don't go against your conscience. Um, the Bible says that's a really dangerous thing to do. Um, then thirdly, uh, like Daniel, uh, decide early where your line in the sand needs to be drawn. Decide early where your line in the sand needs to be drawn. Um, I say that because if you don't do that, um, at least I, I know I'm like this, um, the longer you go on accepting things just as they are, um, the more easy you'll find it to just kind of justify going on like that. Decide early where your line in the sand is going to be drawn. And finally, 
trust God is a good shepherd to you. Trust that God is a good shepherd. So I remember a few years ago, um, my mate Jethro, guy I read the Bible with once a one, um, after a, a long time uh, working towards and, and praying for and waiting for a job, um, finally got a position that was really, really good for him. Um, well, so it seemed. Um, very quickly, um, he realised that the company he was working for was involved in some pretty shady practices um, and decided in conscience he'd have to quit. Um, which you can imagine how gutting that was for him. Um, but wonderfully, now he looks back on that time with, with nothing but thanksgiving. Uh, because very quickly, uh, very soon afterwards, the Lord provided him with a, a job which has just been so much better for him um, in pretty much every way. It's given him loads of evangelistic opportunities with colleagues. Uh, it's meant he's been able to be far more flexible with his time, to be able to serve church in, in loads of different ways that he wouldn't have been able to before. And, um, and he really loves it. And I, I look at that and I think that is a great example of the Lord's honouring his integrity. Um, just like he honoured Daniel's uh, that we saw in chapter one. Um, because there is no promise in the Bible that we quit our job and we're immediately going to land into something much better. But there is a promise that God loves us, that he is a really good shepherd to us. He knows our needs and he's able to provide for us. Um, regarding that second case uh, that I mentioned of, of finding it a struggle to get to church, uh, I want to say um, let's not be Pharisees about that. Uh, and let's not be quick to judge others on where they choose to draw the line. Um, of course, we need to be clear commitment to church is uh, very important biblically. And uh, sometimes it might be appropriate to challenge one another uh, about that. And that is a good and loving thing to do as Christian brothers and sisters. Um, but at the same time, we need to be realistic, don't we? And uh, we need to recognise that the nature of work is, for most people, just that there are some times that are particularly busy. And uh, maybe uh, nights, uh, Wednesday, uh, Thursday nights, Thursday nights where you know we just have to work uh, for a long time, work on into the evening. And um, yeah, that is just life. Um, we think we don't need to always feel guilty about that. Um, we are going to need wisdom, aren't we, to work out what is just a, a kind of short-term pressure patch uh, and what looks like it might become a, a long-term pattern of overwork. And of course, if it is the latter, then yeah, it may well be worth thinking about uh, whether we might move on to something else uh, if that's an option. And then one uh, final thought just to throw out there off the back of what Phil said uh, yesterday on, on choosing jobs. Um, uh, if you've got a mobile career, uh, that is somewhere where you can uh, work at home. It doesn't really matter where you live. Um, we're thinking that could be a great opportunity to serve the gospel. Um, so I was chatting to my friend Nathan at, at camp earlier this summer, um, recently graduated from Cambridge, um, and he's in that position. He's got an IT job um, where he can work from home. And um, he, he said to me, actually, it's been brilliant, Ed, because what it's meant is um, I've been able to go and, and move and join a, a little church plant just outside Cambridge. And um, that's been so much easier for me to do um, than for other people at, at church, because it doesn't matter where I live for work. Um, so if you're in that position, uh, let me just 
to plant that seed um, in your minds now. Um, I gather that the plan is for Christchurch to be planting again um, in a couple of years' time. Um, why not start thinking now about whether you might be able to go and do your job um, near a church that could really use your support? And worth just mulling on that. Okay, next big area we're going to think about um, is how we do our jobs. How we do our jobs. Uh, and you'll see on the outline there is a, a little box of questions there um, to discuss in groups where we're sitting. Um, if our aim is to be Christ-like in our work, um, it's probably worth thinking about how Jesus went about his work. Um, Jesus himself worked, remember? He was a carpenter. Um, of course, the Gospels don't focus on that part of his life, uh, but we can deduce uh, pretty well what, uh, what he would have worked like, I think, can't we, from his character and from the kind of things he taught. Um, so I'm going to give you a, a good 10 minutes uh, in groups to think about that, maybe um, cluster up in uh, fours or fives or sixes, um, somewhere where you're sitting, um, and uh, think through some of the the people and the situations that you face in your workplace um, over the last year or so. And uh, just imagine that Jesus was one of your colleagues. Um, think about what he would have been like in those situations. And uh, there are some verses there in the box to help you think that through. So in little groups, uh, give 10 minutes to think that through. Um, I hope that was a, a helpful little exercise. It sounded like there was lots of good discussion going on, on um, in groups. I imagine it was quite challenging. Um, we're not going to feed back on, on that now. Um, I'm just going to rattle a few, uh, a few thoughts off the back of that on um, how we might be really distinctive in the ways that we work as, as Christians. Um, so firstly, in terms of how we speak, um, the fruit of the Spirit is kindness, uh, which means we want to be known as, as kind and generous in our words, don't we? Not slanderers and gossips. Um, invariably at work, at some point, tensions are going to arise between colleagues. Um, hands up if you've been in a workplace where that has never been the case. Yeah, I, I didn't think so. Um, maybe people don't do their jobs very well. Um, oh, that's good. Um, there you go, mate. A Christchurch may for hiring next year. Um, um, I, I don't know what it'd be. Maybe, maybe people don't do their jobs very well. Maybe there are disagreements about things. Um, when that happens... Often people will, will want to include us in gossip, won't they? Um, they'll want to make us take sides with them. And uh, when that happens, there is a real temptation, I think, to present ourselves um, just slightly differently to different people, um, particularly in private conversations. I once uh, heard uh, a much wiser, uh, older Christian who'd been working in the city many years um, say that um, whatever you say in a closed meeting room uh, you ought to be prepared to defend that in public. I think that's very, very good advice. <clears throat> and when you think about it, the, uh, the opposite of that is true as well, isn't it? Whatever we say in public to someone's face, um, we, we want to be able to justify that in private. Uh, because secondly, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and faithfulness, which means we want to be known as truthful and honest people. Uh, not liars and not flatterers. Uh, if I praise my boss in public when they're around, uh, but everyone knows actually that I, I make fun of him or her at, at the pub after work, well, people are going to conclude quite rightly, aren't they, 
that uh, I just say and do whatever it takes to benefit me, uh, just like the rest of the world does. Uh, we can think about what that looks like, not just verbally, but on paper. Um, how, accurate, how, how accurate an account of ourselves is our CV? Um, are there parts of it that, whilst not being completely untrue, um, just might give a slightly exaggerated impression of some of our experience and abilities? Um, how realistic are we when we provide a, an estimate of how much a project's going to cost? Um, do we just give the most optimistic figure we can think of? Uh, do we provide our clients with uh, uh, information about potential risks and obstacles that we would want to know about if we were in their position? Well, how about this? How honestly do we respond when we're asked the reasons why we're a bit behind on a bit of work? We want to be known as truthful and honest people in the workplace. But uh, I reckon perhaps the, the least obvious but most challenging of these three sub, three sub points might be the last one. Um, the fruit of the spirit is joy and peace, which means we want to be known as humble and joyful people, uh, not arrogant and not complainers. Um, I wonder if that is perhaps the hardest of the three. Um, complaining just comes very, very naturally to us, doesn't it? So just imagine what a witness it would be of our, our joy and contentment and trust in the Lord if uh, in, instead of sounding off about that mistake that someone else has made, which has made work harder for us, or instead of talking about how, you know, of course, we would run things very differently if we were in charge, uh, if instead of that, uh, we were the person who just got on with things with a smile on our face, uh, whose mood wasn't blown to and fro at the mercy of the working environments. Who, uh, when our, our colleagues are, are grumbling around us, can say, well, yeah, yeah, I know, it's not an ideal situation, is it? But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm just really thankful that, that God's given me a job at all. A few thoughts on uh, how we might speak differently. And then a few ideas about how we might act differently. Uh, we want to show respect to people. Uh, if you manage to get on to that uh, one Peter passage uh, in your groups, you'll have seen Peter telling us to submit to our masters. That's how we treat authority as Christians matters. Uh, likewise, how we treat members of the opposite sex matters, doesn't it? And I really hope we won't be showing the same kind of sexism that others in our workplace might. At the next, um, here's one. This might well have been uh, something I imagine you were talking about in your groups a moment ago. Um, loving the unlovely, uh, showing grace to difficult people. And what an example Jesus showed us of that. Uh, the, the world's way of doing work relationships is that you, you treat well the people who are are going to benefit you in, in some way, or the, the people you get on well with, who's, uh, whose friendship uh, can, can in some way benefit you. Um, Jesus turns that right on its head, doesn't he? Um, he showed grace and friendship to en his enemies, 
and to the social outcasts. And thank goodness he treated us like that. Let me think about this again briefly in our next talk. But I think if we're Christians, we ought to care more about our colleagues than, uh, than they do about one another. Uh, and so we ought to aim to be more open and more relational than they are. And lastly, how we handle difficult situations and mistreatments. Uh, again, the one Peter passage you've got there is very helpful on this. Uh, because unlike our non-Christian colleagues, we don't need to take matters of injustice into our own hands. Three reasons for that. Because we can entrust judgment to God. Uh, because we can entrust our lives to his sovereign care. And because we can see trials as the furnace in which Christ makes us more like himself. We can entrust judgment to God. We can entrust our lives to his sovereign care. And we can see trials as the furnace in which God makes us more like Christ. So I wonder if you've ever thought about it like this before. Um, difficult situations at work are actually the most wonderful opportunities to let our Christ-likeness shine. <laughs> when everyone is on edge because uh, people are being laid off, but, but we remain calm and just get on with things. Uh, when we make a mistake, but instead of making excuses like everyone else does, um, actually we admit it and apologise. Or when we're unfairly blamed for something, or someone just seems to have it in for us for no good reason. Uh, we don't retaliate. Instead, we go out of our way to do good to them. And those kind of situations are great opportunities, aren't they? For our colleagues to notice just how different we are. But, you know, even if they don't notice that, um, God will. Remember uh, Colossians chapter 3, I think you've had this read, it, read already um, yesterday. Whatever you do, Paul says, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. And God sees it and he will, will reward it. And then lastly, final, uh, third and final area we're going to need to battle to be distinctive in, um, in how we don't do it, in how we don't work. That is to say, how we don't make work um, the most important, all-consuming thing in our lives. And uh, two reasons, I think, why we need to think that through. Um, firstly, because though God made work as a good gift for us, um, he also made rest as a very good gift for us as well. And so I realise there's a, a certain irony of saying what I'm about to say on a weekend away on the topic of, of work. Um, but I, I just wonder whether in our Christian circles um, we rightly do a good job of uh, doing a lot of thinking about work, um, but don't nearly spend nearly as much time thinking about a, a biblical view of rest. 
Uh, why don't we do well to think a bit harder about how we rest in a way that glorifies God as well? Because I, I don't know about you, but I, I find my temptation uh, is to view rest as, as one of two things. Um, either just as a kind of pit stop that I, I need to kind of collapse into just to recharge in order to work more. Um, or as a kind of hedonistic escapism that my work has facilitated. But actually, rest in the Bible is so much more than that. And we don't have time this morning to go into a, a full theology of rest. But if, if we're tempted to think that rest isn't important, um, worth reflecting on the fact that um, Sabbath observance is mentioned over 100 times in the Old Testament. And whatever your view is on how we apply the Sabbath exactly as Christians today, we won't go into that now. And whatever your view on, on that is, I think it's pretty hard to escape the conclusion from that, that God is not indifferent about how we rest. Uh, it seems to me there are two primary reasons in the Bible why rest is so important. Uh, one, because God made rest for us to enjoy him. Uh, he made it so we'd remember our relationship with him and give glory to him by joyfully enjoying his good creation. Uh, that's the, uh, why the, the reasons for the Sabbath commands in the Old Testament um, regularly refer back to God's pattern in creation. Uh, when he'd finished his work of creation, uh, God rested on the seventh day, satisfied in the work that he'd accomplished. It's like a, a, a celebration of the fact that he's provided a really good world for the people he's made. And uh, our resting is supposed to, in some ways, reflect that. Uh, we glorify God by gratefully enjoying his good provision. Uh, and then secondly, uh, rest is important because God made it so that we would depend on him and not just on ourselves. Um, so not working expresses the fact that we trust God to provide for us. It uh, shows that we're not self-sufficient, uh, that we're not just constantly worried that if we don't work all the time, uh, God might not give us what we need. And uh, We glorify God in part by trusting him enough to rest. So we need to be godly and not overworking because rest glorifies God. Also, secondly, because our nine-to-five job isn't the only kind of work that God's given us to do. Uh, he's given us other responsibilities too uh, in the church and in the home. So then, just as we finish, a few thoughts on, on how those two principles um, play out in these three areas, our personal life, our family life, and our church family life. Uh, on a personal level then, um, some of us will find it very difficult to get problems or conflicts at work off our minds. Um, temperamentally, I'm definitely like that, um, particularly when it, it comes to conflict. Uh, I find it very, very hard just to let it go um, and to not just kind of play conversations over on repeat in my head and think about what I could have said differently or uh, how unreasonable the other person was being. Um, but when it comes time to rest, we do need to learn, don't we, the discipline of praying and leaving our worries to God as an expression of our trust in him. 
Uh, the same uh, applies to our, our devotion times as well, doesn't it? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to stick up a hand if you find yourself regularly distracted from quiet times uh, by thoughts about issues that you're going to face in the day ahead. Um, I definitely have to stick my hand up. Uh, again, we're going to need discipline, aren't we? Uh, to push those thoughts away when they come to mind. Um, or better yet, to, to quickly pray about them and then leave them in the Lord's hands. And we can think about uh, family life. Uh, I, re- I realise that a lot of here, a lot of us here aren't married uh, and don't have children, um, but you may well be one day. So um, just stay with us for the next uh, minute or so while we think about this. Um, our responsibility to our family obviously is biblically very important. Um, in fact, it is itself a type of work um, that's really significant. And um, putting foods on the table through our nine to five. Um, is only one part of that. And so for Christian parents, for example, to, to love and care for and nurture children in a Christ-like way, uh, to be intentional about bringing them up to know and fear the Lord, and that is immensely significant work. Uh, work which I, I really think we ought to value far more than we do. Uh, it certainly means there is no place for the, the stay-at-home parents Uh, to think of themselves or for us to think of them uh, as doing something less valuable. Uh, That is really, really noble work. Uh, You may know the the story of Ruth Ruth Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, uh, had a a sign that she hung over her kitchen sink, uh, which read, Divine Worship Offered Here Three Times Daily. As Christians, we certainly ought to resist Uh, any tendencies there might be in our society uh, to think of work in the home as somehow of less worth and dignity uh, than, say, a white-collar job in the city. And for those of us uh, out of the home um, for our our day job, we've got to remember that while paying the bills is important, um, actually the work of spiritual input and encouragement in the home is far more important. So let me say to married blokes in particular, uh, remember that the main way that you provide for your family is by leading them spiritually. Uh, One of my heroes in the the Christian life is a guy called John John Patton. Um, He was a 19th century Scottish uh, missionary to the the islands of the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. Um, Some of you I know have heard me quote from his autobiography before. Um, He was an extraordinarily godly man. Um, Huge respect for him. Um, One of the things I was most struck by reading through his book uh, is just how big an impact his father had on his faith. Um, Father just so intentional in his discipleship. Um, Patton speaks about it in in such glowing terms. Um, Talks about the conversations they had on a Sunday afternoon after the sermon. Uh, talks about how when he and his siblings needed to be disciplined, um, his father would first go into a closet and pray about it. Uh, in fact, his prayer life perhaps left the greatest impression of all. Um, listen to this, uh, this short excerpt. How much my father's prayers at this time impressed me, I can never explain, nor could any stranger understand. 
went on his knees and all of us kneeling around him in family worship. He poured out his whole soul with tears for the conversion of the heathen worlds to the service of Jesus. And for every personal and domestic need, we all felt as if in the presence of the living Saviour and learned to know and love him as our divine friend. As we rose from our knees, I used to look at the light on my father's face and wish I were like him in spirit, hoping that in answer to his prayers, I might be privileged and prepared to carry the blessed gospel to some portion of the heathen world. And boy did the Lord answer that prayer. Now look, I, I, I realise there is a danger in reading that. That is a fairly stellar example of Christian parenting. Um, and I don't, I don't want to discourage us by that. Um, my point in doing that is simply to say, we need to make sure, don't we, that work isn't taking all of our time and energy away from being a godly example to our family. Um, because that has a huge impact. And we need to love our spouses and we need to love our families uh, by giving them time uh, and not being so tired that we can't serve them. And then lastly, of course, we've got a responsibility to our church family. And I'm not really going to say uh, anything on this because uh, we thought about a lot about this in our, our joining in sessions at the start of the year. And um, suffice to say... Um, we're going to find it pretty difficult, aren't we, to fulfil all of those one another commands that we looked at in those sessions uh, if we're only rarely meeting with our church family. Um, church family, another important responsibility. Um, so there we go. I realise that is a, a pretty scattergun kind of set of ideas on a very, very broad topic. Um, that being the case, um, why not just take a couple of minutes uh, as, we, as we finish. Um, look back over at some of the things we've just thought about. Um, maybe identify just one or two areas um, that have struck you, that things that you'd like to work on, uh, think more about, um, circle them, uh, you know, put an asterisk by them, whatever. Um, and why not then just commit to pray for those one or two things um, for the next week or two? Let me pray for us. Our Father, we're aware that in, in so many areas uh, that we've thought about this morning, we do fall short. Um, and uh, we've dishonoured the Lord Jesus, um, and we're sorry, Father, uh, and we pray that you'd forgive us for that. Uh, but we praise you so much that you're a God of grace, uh, you're a God who loves us, who forgives us, uh, who delights to use uh, weak, sinful people. Um, and so, Father, we do pray that you'd strengthen us uh, as those who've been renewed by your spirits, uh, Father, help us to put on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Father, pray that you'd uh, give us strength to live distinctive and different lives amongst our colleagues. Uh, pray that our Christ-likeness would shine, particularly in some of those difficult situations that we might face. Uh, pray that it would cause them to ask the reason for the hope that we have, uh, that they might themselves glorify you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.